The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. Stocks in Asia trade higher after the big jobs report surprise propels Wall Street. But questions are raised whether the misclassification made the May unemployment rate seem lower than it is. All rallies on an output deal from OPEC and its allies, but WTI and crude pairs gains as the one-month extension falls short of some forecasts, while Saudi and Russia call for compliance. Effective compliance is vital if we are to secure the hard-won stability in global oil market and restore confidence in the unity and the unity of uh, and effectiveness of the uh, entire group. Back in contraction, China's exports unexpectedly fall in May, while imports mark the sharpest decline in more than four years, raising fears about the recovery in the world's second biggest economy. Tens of thousands take to the streets of Washington, D.C. for the largest Black Lives Matter protest to date, amid reports that President Trump wanted to deploy 10,000 troops to control civil unrest in the capital. And UK Airlines preparing to legally challenge the government's 14-day travel quarantine, calling it, quote, wholly unjustified as the rules come into effect, whilst France reportedly readies a 10 billion euro rescue package for its aerospace industry. US jobs report took markets around the world by surprise. The May unemployment rate unexpectedly declined to 13.3% from 14.7% in the month of April as lockdowns were partially lifted and employers started to bring back some of their workers. This stunned the economists who saw the figure soaring to nearly 20%. However, the Labor Bureau said the rate would have been three percentage points higher if it wasn't for some of the furloughed employees mistakenly being classified as employed but absent, non-fund payrolls increased by 2.5 million, defying forecasts that 8 million jobs were lost. President Trump hailed the jobs report, claiming that it was a, quote, great day for George Floyd, whose fatal arrest had sparked protests across the country. Joblessness among black and Asian workers continued to climb, though, in May, despite the improvement in the overall unemployment rate. This is outstanding what's happened today. Now, they thought the number would be a loss of 9 million jobs, and it was a gain of almost 3 million jobs. Nobody's ever seen anything. I think it was incredible in a couple of ways. Number one, the numbers are great, and this leads us on to a long period of growth. We'll have the greatest, we'll go back to having the greatest economy anywhere in the world, nothing close. Vice President Mike Pence suggested that the unemployment rate has fallen even further since the jobs report was conducted, saying many more companies have reopened and started rehiring. It's remarkable to think that this jobs report today was actually from a survey in mid-May, uh, when uh, roughly 50% of small businesses around America were starting to reopen. The U.S. Chamber just did a survey where they think 80% are reopening. And in all of our discussions with governors, our focus in the month of May uh, at the Coronavirus Task Force has been to safely reopen America 
and this jobs report today shows you the American people are stepping up, standing on that strong foundation that President Trump laid, the strong, resilient economy, the resilience of the American people, and uh, uh, this recovery begins today. And that U.S. jobs report unlocking a very strong trade on Wall Street, uh, the extent of the gains. Let's just walk through some of the levels. 27,000, the handle on the Dow, back above the 200-day moving average also for the Dow, which is uh, something that had been a little bit elusive for the technicals, uh, worth watching, and the gains 3.1%. Over the course of the week, we saw gains of about 6.8%. Very, very strong performance. One of the big movers in the trading session Friday was Boeing for the likes of the Dow. Just how far are we off the records now? As you see, 27,000 on the charts, about 8% off those all-time highs for the Dow. For the S&P 500, Apple was one of the big movers, as it was for the NASDAQ as well. Uh, the market gaining strongly. The NASDAQ intraday also touching a, a record high at one point. So very strong levels, 9.845, what we touched at one point in the session. Just worth noting, very strong volume that also crossed over the trading day. As you take a look at the ramifications for the banks, as they continue to to benefit from very high volumes of transactions. That was another big feature of these markets. But Treasuries too, we also drove higher in that bond yield and the level 0.90, well off some of the lower levels around 0.7 where we have been trading for the last few weeks. The market noting this escalation and just what that means for the Fed this week as it sits down to debate policy. At the short end of the curve, you can see that distance and the steepening of the curve is something a lot of market watchers have been noting. 0.21, very widespread now between that two and the 10-year yield. Take a look at the dollar and the implications for what we've seen. It was a weaker reversal for the US dollar against some of the major crosses. Sterling this morning again benefiting and you can see the bounce of about a third of a percent. Risk on has taken us to the 127 handle. 112.86, we just slipped slightly below the 113 level. The high ranges that we've witnessed on the euro in the back of the ECB last week and some of that risk appetite. <clears throat> dollar yen 109, the level we're trading at and dollar yuan 7.08. It's gaining versus the Chinese currency. Asian markets uh, this morning for Monday. This is how we stand. Modest for some of the components of the market from China to Hong Kong. You can see just a slight improvement in the China data has been somewhat weaker for a lot of investors to get their heads around the uh, export-import numbers. A little bit disappointing for a lot of investors, but uh, the Japanese stock market continuing the rally that you're seeing on these global markets. The size of the bounce, 240 points or 1%. But the question is where we go from here. And Steve, that jobs report really was a trigger, a catalyst for markets to move north. The reopening of economy theme has been something we've witnessed on markets, but this is another layer on top. The market's saying, well, we expected one number, we got another. The question is whether the devil is in the detail and whether analysts are correctly re reviewing material in front of them. What we saw, a classification error, basically a whole lot of workers who've never been unemployed before, not really knowing how to fill in a survey form. Uh, all of the above, Karen. Very good morning to you from uh, Stansted uh, in Essex, which is around about 50 miles north of London. Look, you're absolutely right. And uh, I was looking at uh, Carl Weinberg's high frequency economics. They made a lot of the points you've been making. Uh, the BLS have concerns about the response rates, about their ability to collect data and about, as you mentioned earlier on, the classification of workers absent uh, from work due to virus related businesses uh, and their closure of those as well. So the BLS has some real concern over the 
classification of many of those workers, which apparently, according to um, the data I was looking at, uh, could have meant 3% higher unemployment rate in May and a 5% higher unemployment rate in April. So it does make it fantastic data, but ambiguously fantastic data as well. But what is quite extraordinary is how so wrong, even with that considered, um, the whole herd of economists on Wall Street and beyond were as well. And of course, the market reaction um, was, was very natural. A huge, huge risk on rally, as you mentioned, both on Friday and indeed today. And we're seeing it on both sides of Atlantic, this absolute terror about long-term unemployment, which is why we've seen such a generous furlough scheme copying what the Germans did last time around the great financial crisis as well. Uh, we've curtsied by it on this side of the Atlantic as well. It is all about those jobs. It's always been about the jobs, really, because once you've got people on long-term unemployment, that's when you suffer some really long-term recession stroke, depressionary environments, uh, as we've seen historically as well. I mean, just talking about this side of the Atlantic, of course, <clears throat> a huge battle going on between how you open up the economy, uh, where you move on this. And apparently Boris Johnson, the last few days, was, uh, was, was heard to use a mildly blasphemous word when he was told just how many job losses could be uh, created in the hospitality sector. Apparently, Alex Sharma told him it could be three and a half million if something isn't done a lot quicker. And now, apparently, you've got this project restart for the UK economy, albeit moving in an opposite direction from the quarantine rules, which we'll cover later on. Steve, funnily enough, in that jobs report, restaurant jobs, bar jobs were the ones that bounced back in the month. 1.4 million jobs uh, added uh, from that particular sector after losing 6 million in April. So just the reopening of the doors does seem to make a difference, at least from a starting perspective. If you drill down to the numbers too, and you can see that there will be a link across to the UK market. Construction in the United States, that was an improver. Employment, education, health services, retail trade, manufacturing, professional and business services, financial activities, those were improvers. But on the government side, government jobs, and you've seen many challenge local and state governments. Now, that's where you saw a hit in that monthly jobs report in the United States. So if you're looking for the pain points and where there may be improvement down the track because the jobs have not quickly come back, those are the areas we're now looking for. Also worth noting the level of uncertainty is still amongst employers about the type of jobs they're adding back. A lot of them were part-time, about two-fifths of the increase in employment. And that is a concern because we know in the past when employers add the uh, flexible positions that they can quickly do away with, it is telling you something about those psychology and not necessarily full-time employed jobs that are going to be much harder to shed down the track. Uh, in terms of this week, I think it's going to be interesting. We've got a Fed, we've got the central bank. And if you think about a lot of the market activity, there's a Fed put in the market. Don't fight the Fed. The Fed is very active. All the stimulus that has come into the system has carried the markets a long way. So the uh, communication from Jay Powell and co could be incredibly interesting for markets and particularly bond markets. As we mentioned, how far they have travelled in a short period of time and that steepening of the yield curve. I mean, we're talking about a flat yield curve or an inverted yield curve for so long. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, Karen. Um, not a lot more to add to that, to be fair. Um, I think beginning to look at the fiscal position, of course, and I think the central banks, wherever uh, you talk about a Fed put. A Fed put for who, though, I guess? A Fed put for the market or a Fed put for the enormous fiscal spending, which, of course, we've been looking at going through $3 trillion worth, potentially, in the States. Huge amount in the UK as well. So I think the central banks, whilst being on the front foot in terms of saying, we've got your back, will also be uh, pretty conscious of the fact that they cannot be seen distorting uh, the bond market's 
any more than is necessary to support uh, smooth markets. If they're just there writing blank checks uh, for a fiscal response on both sides of the Atlantic, then as again, we've seen uh, the likes of Andrew Bailey and others, they're a little bit prickly about that, saying that is not what our raison d'etre is as well. So I think looking at the fiscal position uh, going forward is going to be something we're going to start looking at now that we seem to be in many of these countries past the worst of the pandemic. And of course, we're all very conscious that things can get worse again very quickly. One thing that's very clear, though, it's going to remain volatile. I mean, look at that data we saw there as well. Every single piece of data is going to be poured over. Uh, I thought the the Chinese imports in, in energy were quite extraordinary in the last 24 hours, just underlying what we've seen out of the OPEC deal as well and why they think we could swing to deficit potentially in supply. I know we're going to cover that with Dan in a short while, so I won't go into too much detail there as well. But yeah, I think we're going to remain volatile. Uh, and as we get past the worst of the pandemic, people are going to start looking more at these kind of deals, more at the kind of trade situation, more at the fiscal position, and it's going to remain stunningly volatile. Good point. Dan Energy, one of the big gainers on Wall Street last week as well, Steve. U.S. President Trump has ordered the National Guard to begin withdrawing from the nation's capital despite ongoing protests over the killing of George Floyd. On Twitter, the president claimed that fewer protesters had shown up in Washington over the weekend, but warned that the troops can, quote, quickly return if needed. Tens of thousands of demonstrators took to the streets across the country over the weekend, nearly two weeks after the death of George Floyd. This, as a new poll, shows a majority of Americans feel things are out of control in the country. NBC's Jennifer Johnson has the latest. Across the country, more protests over the death of 46-year-old George Floyd, as a new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll shows 80% of Americans say things in the U.S. are out of control. The COVID-19 pandemic, America's economic crisis, and video of police brutality taking its toll. And I think it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And this is the real time for us to come together. With millions demanding change, two senators will release a new bill Monday banning certain police practices and demanding more accountability. This is not a system that is always explicitly done by overt racism. Uh, this is a system that's really baked. Despite the protests, the poll also shows a majority of Americans are uncomfortable attending large gatherings, including in restaurants and planes. This as President Trump faces new criticism from another U.S. general, longtime Republican Colin Powell, announcing he will back Joe Biden in November's election. The one word I have to use with respect to what he's been doing for the last several years is a word I would never have used before. He lies. He lies about things. And he gets away with it. Powell's words come after the president was publicly criticized by Generals James Mattis and John Kelly and Admiral Mike Mullen for wanting to use U.S. military soldiers against protesters. We have a military to fight our enemies, not our own people. The president firing back, calling Powell a real stiff, responsible for getting us into the disastrous Middle East wars after previously lashing out against Mattis and other military leaders. Jennifer Johnson, NBC News. Washington. New York City has lifted its curfew one day ahead of schedule after nights of mostly peaceful protesting. This comes as the city prepares to emerge from lockdown with phase one set to begin today. Construction and manufacturing will resume and retailers will be allowed to provide limited in-store and curbside pickup. Facebook founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg has promised to quote, advance racial justice responding to internal criticism over his handling of a controversial post from President Trump. 
In a memo to staff, Zuckerberg said the social media company would review a number of its policies, including how content is moderated. The Facebook founder has come under fire from employees after the company decided to leave up a post from the U.S. leader, which said when the looting starts, the shooting starts amid protests following the death of George Floyd. Coming up on the show, OPEC and its allies reach an upward deal, but is it enough to satisfy markets? We'll have analysis right after the break. And for more on the top stories moving markets this Monday, check out the Squawk Box podcast. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. OPEC and its allies have agreed to extend deep production cuts until the end of July as the world's biggest producers look to bolster oil prices during the coronavirus pandemic. In a virtual meeting this weekend, the group's key players, Saudi Arabia and Russia, also called for stronger compliance with the deal. Let's take a quick look at how the oil price is trading this morning. Uh, strong gains for Brent above $43, the bounce 2.1%. And WTI also perched above the 40 handle with another gain of 1.6%. Let's get out to Dan for more to break down that meeting between OPEC and its allies. Dan, there's been some griping in the market that the extension doesn't go longer into the rest of this year. But I wonder about that. It was always part of the playbook, wasn't it, for OPEC and its allies to keep some uncertainty out there for those U.S. shell producers that might be interested in coming back into the market. That's exactly right, Karen, and I've also seen that headlined. I would contend it's quite unfair, in fact. Um, OPEC has long said that it will be reviewing the market monthly now as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, and clearly the price reaction that we're seeing today with Brent crude back above 43 US dollars a barrel and tracking at a three-month high reflects the market optimism around this new deal. I also should just inform you that in the coming hours, we are expecting to hear from the Saudi energy minister, the Russian energy minister, and the OPEC secretary general, who are going to be holding a news conference in Vienna to discuss the impact of this latest agreement that they reached on Saturday. Uh, clearly a major step forward in ensuring stability in the global oil market, with Saudi Arabia and Russia coming together to agree on an extension of this 9.6 million barrel production cut through the month of July. Uh, you might remember that that's actually about 100,000 barrels less than the 9.7 million barrel cut that was originally agreed. That's because Mexico is no longer part of the deal. But in many ways, this is also vindication for the Saudi energy minister who managed to pull this deal together with his allies, while also twisting the thumb down on laggard members of the group like Iraq and Nigeria, who have also now pledged not only to maintain their commitment, 
but also to make up for any additional losses in the coming months as well. Uh, this is also a step forward in the Saudi-Russia relationship because you'll remember at the closeout of their last face-to-face -face meeting in Vienna, it ended in terrible circumstances. One minister walked one way up the street, the other uh, down the other way of the street, and uh, that really launched what was an all-out battle for market share and a price war that ultimately led to oil to fall into negative territory. Well, the Saudi energy minister commenting on that historic day, uh, negative prices during the uh, meeting on Saturday when they managed to uh, come together for this deal and essentially um, bring some normalcy, if you will, to that Saudi-Russia relationship and a restoration um, of their uh, relationship. Uh, he said that he'll do whatever it takes, essentially, to ensure that oil never turns negative again, and at the same time reaffirming OPEC's unity now. Listen. That day has given us a new determination to ensure we stabilize the global market. Since then, our collective effort had have borne fruits, and despite many uncertainty, there are encouraging signs that we are over the worst. OPEC now also has planned to meet on June 18 to discuss compliance and the progress of the deal so far. And we've also now scheduled a full OPEC meeting to take place in Vienna on November 30. Perhaps not online, perhaps this next meeting will take place face to face, which would also really symbolize just how far the oil market has come as the global economy emerges from this pandemic. I will say that there are a couple of issues that the market still needs to contend with. Of course, the voluntary production cuts that were made by Saudi Arabia, the UAE and Kuwait are no longer going to be upheld as of next month, we understand. Uh, that means more supply is going to be coming up back online. Uh, at the same time, there's also an oil field in Libya that's going to be resuming production, which means more supply coming back online. And higher prices ultimately could be self-defeating as well, because of course, with Brent crude now back at 43 US dollars a barrel, we could see perhaps some temptation among those shale plays in the United States to turn the taps back on again. So this market is recovering, but perhaps not out of the woods just yet. Back over to you. Dan, thank you very much for bringing us the details today. Let's continue the conversation with Warren Patterson, who is head of commodities strategy ING. Warren, nice to have you on board with us today. I was noting some of those comments from the energy minister about the challenges lying ahead. This is from the Saudi Arabian line. But what about the drawdown of inventories from here? Because even though the demand is coming back, what we're still seeing in one billion barrels of excess oil inventories accumulated around the world. How do we see a great drawdown of that product? Yeah, it's, it's going to take some time. Um, I mean, firstly, if we look at the oil market, our view is with the extension of the production cut deal, uh, we're going to see that transition from surplus to deficit brought forward from about August, September to July. Um, but I really think when does the market really fully digest all that inventory build? And we really think it's only sort of as we get into sort of into late mid next year uh, that the market would have digested a large part um, of that inventory build. So I think in terms of price, yes, you can be constructive, uh, but we just need to keep in mind uh, that, you know, that significant level of inventory that's hanging over the market. 
Uh, Warren, very good morning to you. I want to talk about demand. Uh, you would have seen also the China crude oil import rebound to a near record 11.1 million barrels a day uh, in May. That's an increase of 13% from April. That is quite a stunning rebound there. So I want to talk about demand with that in mind. And also these comments that we've heard from Novak over the last few days that he thinks that the supply-demand imbalance could move to a uh, supply deficit in the next month or so. I just wonder what you thought about the demand side of the equation. Yeah, so um, absolutely, we saw record imports in China over the month of uh, over, over May. Um, but the big question is, is that real consumption or are we seeing opportunistic buying from you know, Chinese refiners? Uh, and my view is it is the latter. Um, they've taken advantage of the lower prices we've seen over the last couple of months uh, in order to stock up, stock up on oil. Um, and then, yeah, I would have to agree with Novak's comments about the market shifting from that surplus environment to deficit. Um, with the latest deal, our view is that it will happen in July. Um, now, one word of caution is obviously if we look at the rally we've seen in crude oil prices, it has been amazing. Um, but the big question mark, well, the big uncertainty is if you look at refinery margins. Um, refinery margins are very weak across the board or across all regions. Uh, and that does sort of suggest that maybe demand's not recovering as quickly uh, as, as, as many had anticipated, or at least it's not keeping up uh, with, with the move higher that we've seen in crude oil prices. And obviously what's not helped that is the fact that over the weekend, um, we also got uh, the Saudis increasing their official selling prices for July. So again, further hitting refining margins. So add all that together with the fact that a lot of IOCs are turning around saying, do you know what, it's just not worth our while anymore producing uh, crude oil. We're going to transfer our capital expenditure to more uh, alternative-friendly, energy transition-friendly sources of fuel as well. Uh, And are we going to see long-term structural changes to the complex, or is it the same old, when it's low, we turn the taps off, and when it's high, we put them back on again? What's going to be different this time? Uh, again, I think it is going to, I don't see how different it's going to be. Yes, obviously, you know, we've seen a massive cut in CapEx. Um, so that does suggest that we could see significantly higher oil prices in the years ahead, um, which could sort of push that energy transition agenda. Uh, but at least in the near term, short term, I think the fact that we're already seeing some U.S. producers saying, well, you know, we're going to bring in shut-in wells back, in, back online, it does show you the flexibility uh, that the industry in the U.S. has. So they can respond fairly quickly uh, to, to, to market dynamics. Um, so, yeah, I think in the short term, nothing, not much changes, but definitely in the, in the longer term, it does, try, it, does try, well, it does speed up energy transition, we believe. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.